And the residual impact is that we are unfulfilled by the work that we do. And when we're unfulfilled by the work that we do, we focus on the details. And when we focus on the details, we retract from each other. When we retract from each other, we feel lonely. And when we feel lonely, cancer goes up, heart disease goes up, diabetes goes up. In other words, by going to work, we're killing ourselves. Literally. That's Simon Sinek. And this is the Depression Detox Show. Welcome back to the Depression Detox Show, where we share ideas and stories to help you live a happier life. I am your host, Malik Josephs. Happy Thursday. I am thankful for you tuning in with me today as we have Simon Sinek returning to the show. And today, Simon is going to talk about how to be more fulfilled at our jobs And he uses the U.S. Marine Corps as an example to illustrate his point. Here's Simon Sinek. Enjoy. So here's a little issue we have in America today. Um, There are currently about 250,000 people a year who are dying in our hospitals due to, uh, due to preventable deaths. And I'm not talking about negligence. I'm talking about little accidents, right? Um, I'm talking about the doctor in the morning not properly briefing the doctor for the evening. You know, I'm talking about things that, you, you know, we can't sue anybody. There's nothing, there's nothing that we can see that's wrong. But there's 250,000 preventable deaths every year. That's um, about 2747s going down every single week. That's what's the equivalent to. And the confusing thing is that we have the best doctors in the world. We have the most advanced technology in the world. Some of the medical equipment we have is the best in the world. The medicines we have are the best in the world. So you start asking yourselves, why are these things happening? And the reason is not because of any of those things. The reasons are actually something vastly more simple. It's something very, very human. 5% of Hospital administrators are doctors. Most of them are number crunchers. Hospitals are run like businesses. Hospitals are run by the numbers. And the problem isn't the people uh, who are giving the care. They're very highly trained. The problem is the way those people are cared for. Because what we've done is we've created cultures in hospitals where the people who are doing the caring aren't cared for. And so all of these little preventable deaths are happening because they don't feel like they're a part of anything. They're just doing their jobs and they don't get along that well. And there's not a lot of camaraderie. And the impact is death, right? Now I use this example because it's exaggerated because the impact is so powerful. But the problem is the same in our own companies, right? Which is we come to work and we're told, you must care for your clients, you must care for your customers, you must make them the focus of all you do, and yet why aren't the people who are managing us from the top caring about us? So 
Yes, in a hospital, the impact is worse, but the impact that we're having on the outside world is just as bad. In other words, we're not working at our best. We don't care for the things we're doing. We're not helping each other is the most important part. And the residual impact is that we are unfulfilled by the work that we do. And when we're unfulfilled by the work that we do, we focus on the details. And when we focus on the details, we retract from each other. When we retract from each other, we feel lonely. And when we feel lonely, cancer goes up, heart disease goes up, diabetes goes up. In other words, by going to work, we're killing ourselves. Literally. There's another study that was released not that long ago that says that uh, parents who work late, the negative impact that it has on their children is little to none. They may feel guilty as parents, but the negative impact that it has on the raising of their children is little to none. However, parents who come home from jobs they hate or don't love, their kids are more likely to be bullies at school. And now you think about the bullying epidemic we have in America. Right? Where there's this disturbing number of young children who are killing themselves, suicides, because of bullies. The problem is not the schools, and the problem isn't even the parenting. The problem is the jobs the parents have. This is the importance and this is the power of the work that we do and the places we go to work. Right? Most of us, I mean, like if you listen to the, 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 uh, the unemployment statistics, they say, you know, we're all-time high, record high, 9 to 10% unemployment, right? And people go, oh my God, that's terrible. And I hear that number and I go, well, that means 91% still have a job, right? Now, granted, we want to get that employment number up, but that means 91% are still going to work. The question is, how many of them are coming home fulfilled by the work that they do and how many of them are waking up inspired to go back to work the next day? If we don't love our works, we don't look out for each other. And if we don't look out for each other, we feel lonely. If we don't feel lonely, all these negative things happen. So what example can I share with a creative audience about how to change this? The United States Marine Corps. I had the great honor last week of uh, spending a week with the Marines. I spent a couple days at Camp Lejeune, and then I went for a few days to um, Paris Island to watch them go through boot camp. And this is an, a, it's a remarkable, remarkable human experiment that they're doing. And even though they know what works, they don't know why it works, but they don't need to know why because they know that it works, right? But what's happening is they're taking a group of strangers, people who don't know each other, who are showing up and within a very, very short period of time, learn to trust each other so much that they would give their lives for each other, right? And we know, everyone, sort of anyone who's ever worn a uniform knows that no one runs into battle for God and country. It doesn't happen. It's for the guy to the left of me and the guy to the right of me. That's the reason they do what they do, right? And these sort of remarkable stories of heroism where people rush into very, very dangerous situations to save others. And they always ask the question, why did you do it? Why would you risk your life? Why would you put yourself at risk for them? And the answer is always the same, because they would do it for me. In other words, what gives them the confidence to put themselves at great risk is the knowledge that someone would do the same for them. We would put ourselves at great risk for our companies if we knew that our companies would put themselves at great risk for us. But they don't. So we don't. Now, one of the things that's remarkable about the Marines, and if you go read, and you know, this is the most, I asked these young, and they're 21, 22 years old, some of these, these Lance Corporals, the grunts, you know, the guys, the infantry. I mean, this is the lowest of the low, the ones we actually send into battle, the front lines. And I asked them, are you misunderstood in America? And they said, yes, unanimously, they all nodded. I said, what, what, what do people think of you? And one stood up and says, they think we're baby killers. I said, how does it feel? He says, it hurts. 
And when I say, well, tell me a story then that captures to you what it means to be a Marine, the feeling you have of being a Marine, tell me a story that captures it. And I expected to hear stories of, I took a hit and somebody saved me, or I ran into a firefight and pulled somebody. I expected these stories of heroism. Not a single story like that came out. Now, I'm sure those stories exist, but those aren't the, to the stories they told me that capture what it means to be a Marine. One of the stories they told me was a young boy in Afghanistan who would come around every morning and sell kebabs to the Marines. And then one day he showed up and he was all beaten up. And he didn't go to his parents for help and he didn't go to his friends to help. He came to the Marines for help because he trusted them more than anyone else. They told me a story that captured how they feel of a village that had been overrun by the Taliban and the residents of the village could, couldn't go home because they would be killed by the Taliban, and so they were just living by the river. The problem was winter was coming. And one of the, uh, the elders came to the Marines, knocked on the door, and said, I need you to come down to the river and kill us. And the Marines said, what are you talking about? He says, if we go back home, we'll be killed by the Taliban, and if we stay out there, we're going to die slow deaths this winter. It's easier if you just come and kill us, please. The Marines overran the Taliban village, pushed the Taliban out. A year later, they went back to this village and people were playing volleyball. These were the stories they told me that capture what it means to be a Marine. They believe in doing good for others. And the fulfillment they get when they put themselves at risk so that others may prevail is overwhelming. This is not unique to the Marine Corps. This is all human beings. The feeling of fulfillment comes from doing something for another. The feeling from fulfillment comes from the exertion of time and energy for someone else. If you are walking to work and you th throw a few pennies in a cup, and you come to, to work and you say to your friends, hey guys, I gave a dollar to somebody homeless this morning. What are your friends going to say? Uh, good, right? I gave 20 bucks to somebody homeless. They'd be like, uh, good for you, right? What if you come in in the morning and you say, hey, I gave up my Saturday and I went and painted a school in the inner city. People go, whoa, cool, wow, cool. And all of a sudden, not only are they inspired to do something good themselves, but the feeling that, that you have persists. The amazing thing is that when we do good for others, it actually inspires others to do good for others. This is provided for us, primatologically, anthropologically. It's a, all part of the survival of the species. You know, sex feels good so that we'll do it, so we can procreate and perpetuate the species. But we're social animals, and so we have to provide for the fact that we'll maintain strong bonds and build cultures, right? Because that's what humans do. We're cultural animals. And so when we do good for others and we look out for those in our tribe, we look out for those in our group, it actually feels good. Biologically, it releases oxytocin. This chemical that's released when you do good for others is released, and it makes you feel good. And the amazing thing is the more oxytocin you have in your body, the more you want to do good for others. The problem is we've replaced this feeling, the exertion of time and energy, with digital communications. We've replaced it with headphones. We've replaced it with money, right? Think about the invention of money, right? It used to be, money, you know, it used to be like you go to someone's house, you cook them dinner, and the deal was they'll do the dishes. Time and energy, exchange for time and energy. And someone said, I'll give you an IOU, right? Someone says, I don't feel like doing the dishes, so I'm going to give you an IOU that I promise to do them another day, right? And that's what money is. It is the promise for future goods or services. The promise of future goods and services. In other words, we've replaced our own time and energy with promises for someone else to do it another day, right? 
In other words, there's no exertion of time and energy. And so the feeling people get is that I did something for you and you did nothing for me. You replaced it with a piece of paper, with an IOU, with a promise for future goods and services. The way we find fulfillment is by doing good for others. So how do the Marines do it? How do you get people to do good for others? We all know this. Intellectually, we know that it's good to do good for others, but why don't we do it then? Why don't we do it? And what the Marines learned is something that I completely did not expect. They can't just yell at these guys to help each other. That's not what happens. There's a few things that they have to do first. So we all have heard of the obstacle course, right? The Marines have a thing called the obstacle course. And this is where they, they build anaerobic strength and aerobic strength, muscle strength, and it's timed and all of this good stuff. They have another course called the confidence course, and it's never timed. And most of the obstacles on this course cannot be completed by yourself. They must be completed in teams. You have no choice. That's just how it's designed. And what they say is the first two weeks of boot camp, everybody's there to outdo each other and prove that they're strong. Just kind of like when we start in a job, we prove we want to show how great we are, we'll work a little harder, we'll do good work, look how good my design is, right? It's all about us and how good we are, right? But they keep putting them in situations where they can't do things by themselves. And what starts to happen very slowly they said after about two weeks, they start cheering for each other. Now, they get in trouble when they do, but they start cheering for each other. And then before too long, you see them organically start helping each other. <clears throat> and what happens is if there's one person who's weak and refuses to help each other, the others, or even if there's one person who's strong, who's, you know, I was the star college athlete, and they get to every, the end of every obstacle, and they just stand there and wait for everybody to finish, and they don't help each other, what starts to happen is organically the group starts to ostracize that person. Organically, they get ostracized until they learn that the only way that they will get through this thing, the only way they will survive boot camp, is if they ask for help because they have no option. The problem is no one will help them until they're willing to help another. It's the deal we have to make. It's called vulnerability and risk. We have to take the risk to make ourselves vulnerable. Yes, you might do something for someone else and they may not do something back for you. That's the risk you run. That's the risk you run. It's not about, it's not about <clears throat> giving everything to them and, and sort of huge, big, overwhelming risk. It's about little things and little things. It's like going on a date, right? It's like if I went on a date with somebody and I came home and I said, uh, after one date, I said, I'm marrying her. And people are like, what are you, nuts? I'd be like, I'm in love. They're like, but you're, you're, this, is, this is crazy. I'm like, I know, I'm in love, you know? <laughs> She feels the same way. We both know it's nuts, right? Now you know that you're going to be like, eh, go on a couple more dates, right? <laughs> we know instinctively that the strong bond that's create, that, that needs to be created first takes more than a week, right? We know that, right? But if I've been dating somebody for seven years and we haven't you know, married, you'd be like, dude, what is wrong, right? In other words, we know that it takes more than seven days and we know that it takes less than seven years. The problem is, we don't know how long it takes. It's somewhere in the middle. All human bonds are the same. Like when you show up at work, when you show up for the first time, when you're new, don't expect that people will look out for you and they won't expect you to look out for them in seven days. It won't happen. But if you've been working at a job for a few years and you don't have the, undone, the, the, sort of the, the absolute confidence that if you turn your back, you will not get stabbed, you can rely on somebody, you can give them something, nothing will go wrong, you will share the credit, no one will throw you under the bus. If you don't have that in a few years, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Big 
thanks to Simon Sinek for stopping by. If you'd like to connect with him, you can go to his website, simonsinek.com, which is also his Instagram and YouTube. And his latest book is entitled The Infinite Game. He also has a podcast, which is entitled A Bit of Optimism. And I got this clip from YouTube. It is entitled Simon Sinek, Love Your Work. And if you'd like to check out the last time we've had him on the show, you can go back and check out episode number 359. And I have the links to everything. I I mentioned a lot right there. So I have all the links to everything I just mentioned. They will all be in the show description below. So you can go and check that out. All right. That is a wrap for me. I hope you have a phenomenal rest of your day and I will see you back here tomorrow. So until then, stay strong. Later.